0: Oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler, this is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 547. Happy Friday, oh my goodness. Uh, my weekend plans, I think I'm going to watch that show, Quarterback, on Netflix. I know they follow Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, Marcus Mariota. And I'm not sure what to expect, but I'm going to watch it. I'm hoping it sucks me in and it's, like, really good. I'd love a show to binge and relax this weekend. And assuming it's really good, we're going to cover it on Monday. Um, I haven't decided yet if I want to. And I've got a couple ideas how I could cover it, and maybe I'll do multiple things. But I, uh, assuming it's as good as I hope it is, it'll be a, a central topic of the show. It would be really disappointing if it's just kind of a dud and not interesting. But I I am hoping that my Sunday this week, instead of watching NFL football, because it's still July, I am hoping that that show, Quarterback, really sucks me in and it's really, really a focal point of my weekend. Um, I want to start today by talking about the Buffalo Bills, a team that has been kind of a a central topic of the show, at least was yesterday on on episode 546. Uh, I want to revisit them and talk about what I think could end up being a solution for the Buffalo Bills. So, first of all, in my opinion, the Buffalo Bills have hit a ceiling. They're a really good team that cannot seem to get any farther on a playoff run. They they are not able to win a Super Bowl. And they've got a really young, awesome quarterback, Josh Allen, that I think if he retires and doesn't win a Super Bowl, that's a big disappointment. He's He's a quarterback capable. He's really dang good. And he needs a really good coach. The head coach in Buffalo is Sean McDermott, an awesome man a really good coach who's done a very good job turning around Buffalo, but I don't know that Sean McDermott is the coach to take them from a good team to a great team. I don't know that they're going to win a Super Bowl as long as Sean McDermott is a head coach in Buffalo. Those are fighting words I know. I don't mean to cause trouble or make people upset, although I would argue that Buffalo is a bit complacent. They are afraid of firing a coach like Sean McDermott. A good coach has won them a lot of games and made the playoffs. I think they're like... Man, how, how could you even suggest getting rid of Sean McDermott? He's doing well. But in order to go from good to great, you got to roll the dice and gamble a little bit and go, try to get an even better coach. A coach that can take Josh Allen even farther and commit to him and work with him. You know, the big problem with Sean McDermott is he's a defensive-minded head coach. Look around the NFL. Hey, the last four teams that have won a, you know gone to a Super Bowl, sorry, the, the, the last four Super Bowls, both coaches have been offensive-minded head coaches. It's very rare now that a defensive-minded head coach goes to the Super Bowl. It's not happened in the last four Super Bowls. And more and more, you look around the NFL. Patrick Mahomes is paired with Andy Reid, a genius offensive-minded head coach. Um, Joe Burrow paired with Zach Taylor, an offensive-minded head coach. All these great young quarterbacks have an offensive-minded head coach who's helped them grow and become the person they are. And they're kind of paired together. That's coaching quarterback. They work together for a long time. The best thing about having an offensive-minded head coach is that when people leave, often your coordinators, the people calling your plays, are going to go try to become a head coach somewhere else. But if your quarterback, if your head coach is also the guy working directly with your quarterback, I think of Doug Peterson in Jacksonville, for example. You're not going to lose the guy who's got the key important relationship with their quarterback as time goes on. If the Jaguars are really good this year and Trevor Lawrence wins the NFL MVP, they're going to have a lot of people going, oh my gosh, your offensive coordinator is awesome. Let's hire him. And that might happen. They might lose their offensive coordinator, but they're still going to have an offensive head coach, Doug Peterson, who works closely with the quarterback and knows the quarterback really well. A couple of years ago, I guess, uh, you know, 2021, after the 2021 season, Josh Allen was really, really good. Everything was exciting and awesome. And Buffalo lost their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. He left Buffalo to go be the Giants head coach. Last year, in his first year with the Giants, a horrible football team, Brian Dable took the Giants to the NFL playoffs. First year as a head coach coaching in New York. I would argue that when the 2021 season ended, the better coach in Buffalo, the better head coach, left Buffalo to go be a head coach in New York. I know it's, you're not supposed to say, hey, we're firing our head coach and promoting our offensive coordinator to head coach. But I think if you could go back in time, that might've been the right thing to do. I know it's counterintuitive. You're not supposed to do that. How could you suggest firing Sean McDermott? I am not a hater of Sean McDermott. He's done a very good job. But today... I kind of wish the head coach in Buffalo was Brian Dable instead, because then I know for the next 10 years, you got a good coach who can pair with Josh Allen and be there forever. And I don't know. I am not convinced Sean McDermott's the right guy to take Buffalo to win a Super Bowl. I think in order to win a Super Bowl, they're going to have to get an even better head coach. So um, that is why I would argue Buffalo is complacent. They, in order to get farther ahead, you're going to have to make a risky move, which is uncomfortable, And risk losing more. Like, what if you hire an offensive head coach to work with Josh Allen and he's not any good? That's a risk. High risk, high reward. I think Buffalo is happy making the playoffs every year, getting close to a Super Bowl, maybe never winning one. You know what? It's better than they were for years, and that's fine if you want that. But I would say, hey, Josh Allen is too good of a quarterback to have his talents wasted and have his career spent and not have won a Super Bowl. If he retires years from now and doesn't have a Super Bowl, that's a missed opportunity that's very, very sad for Buffalo. So in my opinion, the Buffalo Bills have a defensive head coach, Sean McDermott. I love him. He's good. He's not great. And I think the solution to solving Buffalo's problem, getting them farther down the line in the playoffs, they need an offensive head coach, more of like an offensive genius, to work with their young quarterback, Josh Allen, and pair up with him and take this team farther so that's buffalo then you got seattle over here the seattle seahawks coached by pete carroll i love pete man pete carroll full of energy a guy that i would love to play for i know people who have played for him they are they they have nothing but good things even even though they could acknowledge his faults as a coach that years later they'll say you know ah we should have done this we should have done that But they always speak highly of him as a person. Like, he's a really awesome person that's hard to not like and easy to root for. Pete Carroll's a defensive head coach in a league that is more and more offense-driven. And the problem in Seattle for years has been that he's not able to hire a good enough offensive coordinator. I would argue, my opinion, mind you, but I would, I would say that the reason why you know, Russell Wilson struggled in Seattle and had to leave was he didn't get good enough support and good enough coaching. Now, he went to Denver and struggled too. So a lot of people say, well, Zach, Russell Wilson just sucked. We'll see. W- watch how Russell Wilson does this fall. If he's really great with Sean Payton, it goes back to, hey, he wasn't supported in Seattle. I don't think he was supported year one in Denver either. Nathaniel Hackett was a disaster as a head coach. Quarterbacks need good coaching. But Pete Carroll's a defensive coach in an offensive league. And I look at that offense in Seattle. They've got DK Metcalf at receiver. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Tyler Lockett. They are very similar to the Cincinnati Bengals. A really incredible high-powered offense with matchup nightmares across the board. I don't know who you guard. You double-team DK Metcalf, you leave one-on-one coverage on the backside with Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba. It's not great. No matter what you do, you're wrong. They got a good defense. I I think there's a lot of parallels between Seattle and the Cincinnati Bengals. They're similar football teams that have high-powered offenses, really, really centered around a really good receiving core. But I would argue that's a kind of a wasted roster, a wasted opportunity with Pete Carroll as head coach. I love Pete Carroll. Nothing against him. But I think you need an offensive head coach really to get full advantage of what's going on in Seattle. Got Geno Smith, this quarterback who did really well last year, had a breakout year. He's 32 years old. We'll see how long he can last playing really, really well. If I'm a Seattle fan, I am really, really horrified by the thought that we might miss an opportunity here with a good football team coached by the wrong coach. I I love Pete Carroll. Like Again, I've said it before. I I like him as a person. Pete Carroll won a Super Bowl 10 years ago in Seattle, 10 seasons ago. Nine seasons ago, he went to a Super Bowl and lost to New England. But it's been nine years since he went to a Super Bowl, and Pete Carroll's still kind of riding on that, like resting on his laurels and saying, hey, you remember when, like 10 years ago, I was a great coach and we won a lot? It's been 10 years, Pete. 10 years since you won a Super Bowl. They won in the 2013 season. We're entering the 2023 season. You know, uh, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I would be ready to watch Pete Carroll go. I think he's on the hot seat this year. I think this is a really important year for Pete Carroll. And if they, I mean, I, I would have the leash really, really short. I would have fired him already, probably, honestly. I think you need an offensive coach in this league. And I don't know that Pete Carroll's the right coach to take advantage of the awesome receiving core they have in Seattle. But if I'm Seattle this year, the leash is really short. You got no room to screw up. You better be really good in the playoffs, maybe win your division. If you're not, we probably got to look elsewhere and get a better coach that can take this team where they deserve to be. So I've introduced Buffalo, a team that's got a coach, a defensive head coach that may not be the long-term solution to help them win a Super Bowl. I also told you about Seattle, a defensive-led team with a defensive head coach that's got a lot of potential on offense, three incredible receivers, and maybe the solution to their problem is a really good offensive coach. Now, here's the coach. Here's the guy that might solve everything in Seattle or Buffalo. I introduce you to Eric Bieniemy. The last five years, Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator in Kansas City, coaching Patrick Mahomes. In that time, he's gone to three Super Bowls. He won two of them. Three of those five years, he had the number one offense in the NFL. Now, Eric Bieniemy has been interviewing for years to become a head coach and hasn't gotten hired. And often the takeaway from this is that, hey, you know, really the genius behind what's going on in Kansas City is they got Andy Reid, this incredible head coach, and Patrick Mahomes, maybe the greatest quarterback ever to walk the face of the earth. So, yeah, of course you were great. Of course you had a great offense. Andy Reid's amazing. The quarterback's amazing. How much of that credit goes to Eric Bieniemy? Hard to tell, honestly. I don't know. But we're going to find out this year. The Washington Commanders hired Eric Bieniemy. He made a lateral move from Kansas City to Washington to be an offensive coordinator of the Washington Commanders. That is where Eric Bieniemy is going to be this fall. He's going to be coaching a 2023 fifth-round pick, Sam Howell. His starting quarterback is a second-year quarterback who was drafted last year in the fifth round. Unproven, this young guy, Sam Howell. And if Sam Howell does really well, and the Washington offense looks really good, I think it's going to be time to admit, hey, there's some genius going on with Eric Bieniemy. He's probably going to be the next great offensive genius head coach. The next guy, I don't know if he's going to succeed or not, but he's going to be viewed as, hey, this is an awesome offensive head coach who could really help a young quarterback on some other team or help a young offense. And the teams, I think, that already should be looking kind of really intently at what's going on in Washington is Seattle, the other Washington, or Buffalo. They should be looking at Eric Bieniemy saying, could this make our team better? Could this, Seattle, could Seattle really get full advantage of their incredible receiving core with Eric Bieniemy designing their offense? Could Josh Allen be taken to even farther heights and even better and maybe win a Super Bowl if he was coached by Eric Bieniemy? Now, none of this is going to matter if Eric Bieniemy is a terrible offensive coordinator this year. This really depends on how well Sam Howell does, how well Washington's offense looks, and what goes down with Eric Bieniemy. But those are the teams, if I'm a Bills fan or if I'm a Seahawks fan, I am watching intently on what's going on in Washington this fall. And if Washington's offense looks really good, I am lobbying hard. Hey, can we hire that guy, Eric Bannity? Can he become our head coach? Out with a defensive head coach. Sorry, Pete Carroll. We love you, but you're out. It's been 10 years since you went to a Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl. Nine since you went to one. Hey, Sean McDermott, we just lost in the playoffs for the third year without getting to where we want to go. Maybe you're not going to take us far enough. Eric Bieniemy might be the solution to either one of these teams' problems. And again, if I'm a Bills fan or I'm, I'm a Seahawks fan, I am intently watching what's going on this fall with the Washington Commanders and their offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. By the way, I want to I share a note on Buffalo. Um, you know, the question really is, what can Von Miller do this fall in Buffalo? Does he have anything left? He's a veteran pass rusher, came over from L.A. He's 34 years old. He tore his ACL in November on Thanksgiving against Detroit. Von Miller's got a, you know, he was given a six-year, $120 million contract. They can get out of it earlier. That's like $45 million guaranteed. But bringing in Von Miller was supposed to be what put Buffalo over the top. He got hurt. It didn't happen. They lost in the playoffs earlier, you know, last year. And I'm just not sure what Von Miller has left in the tank. He's coming off of a torn ACL now. I remember when J.J. Watt went to the Arizona Cardinals, and I thought, oh, wow, J.J. Watt got a year or two left. He's a veteran guy. He's a really great player. Arizona, at the time, was a team that was trying to get their act together and win and get better. And it went badly. The Cardinals didn't win. They didn't get better. And J.J. Watt was kind of not that great. He was a shell of himself. He he withered away and was never heard from again. So I'm I'm just curious what Von Miller is going to bring to the table this fall in Buffalo. Is he going to be J.J. Watt in Arizona? Not quite as good and kind of wither away to nothing? Or is he going to bring an impact? Because if Von Miller is at the top of his game this fall or whenever he gets back from his injury... That's a guy who could make a huge impact, but will Von Miller be at the top of his game? It's a big question. And uh, keep your eye on that in Buffalo. I, I want to ask you guys, am I the only person who likes the Threads app, by the way? Like I, um, I'm not a Twitter guy. It's too negative. It makes me like depressed and really upset. Threads is more like positive Twitter. <laughs> like I- I- I've i actually been enjoying Threads. I got all my followers from Instagram and uh, I, now it feels like I'm the only person there, but I, I ask a question out there. Hey, are you guys on threads? Is it just me? Am I just the only person tweeting about Madden 11? I mean, I guess, see, that's the thing. I'm not going to say threading. I'm never going to say, yeah, I was threading last night. No, no. I was tweeting last night on threads. Yeah, I realize how that's a problem. I don't know. Like, give me your feedback on threads. I, I'm I'm curious if you're using it or have been on it. I like it, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot going on there, which is, um, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep using it, but I'll, I'll give it like three months and if three months from now, 90 days, nothing's happening. It's probably going to die and go away. So I, I don't know. Let me know if you're into threads, but I'm, I'm never going to say threading though. That's just not a, <laughs> in fact, it sounds more like you're threatening someone. I'm threading them. What would what? you say? Hey, by the way, I want to read something. Uh, I want to, I'm going to pull up a, the graphic I have. I want to make sure I get it right. Um, Mike Vrabel, the Titans head coach has 10 receiving touchdowns in his career he was a linebacker in the NFL Mike Vrabel played linebacker for years in New England in that time, he occasionally would play tight end on the goal line and he got 10 touchdown passes right now Mike Vrabel, the Titans head coach has more receiving touchdowns than any other player on the Titans roster not great not great if you're a Titans fan, hoping that your receiving core gets better this year. Your head coach, who didn't play on offense, has more receiving touchdowns than anyone else on your team. <laughs> oh, boy. Not great. And now now that we're doing like weird side news from the offseason, by the way, I saw this today, too. Um, former NFL quarterback, potential Hall of Famer. I don't think he's quite a Hall of Famer, but he's close, and he's he was really had a great career. Um... Philip Rivers' wife is getting ready to have their 10th child. So, uh, first of all, shout out to Tiffany Rivers. You are a factory. I don't, that's on 10 children. Wow. My my first thought when I read that Philip Rivers was having his 10th kid was, (laughs) um, that is insanely expensive. Like, you know, thank goodness you made millions of dollars playing in the NFL. Because I can't even afford one kid. I can barely afford to take care of myself, let alone 10 children. Like, oh, my gosh. And, and then, you know, my thought process after hearing that news was, well, like, traveling's got to be awful. Like, having basically a whole daycare following you, following you, following you around all the time. I mean, I, I would not want – I wouldn't want to be around 10 children, let alone 10 of my own children. Like, that's, that's a lot. And, and then the final thought I had after hearing that Philip Rivers' wife was getting ready to have their 10th child – Ten children. It's insane to me. That's a lot. I was like, the more wholesome thought was, well, when they're grandparents someday and they're having family get togethers and all 10 of their kids have more kids and they all come to hang out on the Philip Rivers family estate for Christmas and Thanksgiving, that's going to be awesome. I, I would imagine being Grandpa Philip and having all these grandkids and kids. I mean, that's going to be fun for them. So um, I'll probably never have kids, but I, I, I am... And I, I don't, it's not really sports news. I, I, I don't know if this really fits into the show, but I saw this and was like, I have to comment on it. It's so fascinating. Like 10 kids, stable relationship, committed relationship. They're all his kids, all with one woman. Tiffany Rivers, 10 children. It's a factory. That's crazy. Ah, and, and before we get into Patreon questions, uh, our Patreon questions today are absolutely incredible. Most of the show was going to be filled with them. It's gonna be awesome. Um, I've got a really great idea for a Halloween costume that I think I I am I'm about to say it and I'm not sure if I should say it. I I maybe should just keep it to myself until Thanksgiving. But now I mean, here's the thing. What am I gonna lose by telling people my idea? Like maybe someone steals it, but then we can trace back to this day when I said I'm gonna do this. And if someone steals it, it is what it is. But I think it's hilarious. I think I get a haircut keep the beard, wear a better shirt, like a really nice buttoned up dress shirt. And I think for my Halloween episode this fall, I'm going to dress up as a young Colin Cowherd. I think that would be so funny. I, I, think, I think I could look like him even. I'll, I'll get the dumb, I, I watched a video of him yesterday, get the dumb little clear earpiece even if I really can. How funny would that be? I, I think that's a, like, hilarious idea that would make for good content is, what's my Halloween costume this year? You just look like you. Oh, I'm a young Colin Cowherd. I think that's, that's funny. I, and it, I don't know. I've been really thinking, like, what would be a funny Halloween costume? That might be the one. Th- there's better out there. But I don't want to be the guy just in, like, a banana suit or something on Halloween doing a podcast. Like, that's a more clever, or nuanced one where you're like, what, what's your outfit? You're what? Oh, that's funny. I think that would be a really interesting and hilarious <laughs> Halloween costume. All right. Uh, let's go to questions from Patreon. If you want to support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, Patreon.com slash Zach Schaumler. It's a dollar a month. You can donate more if you want to. Please do. It literally pays my rent. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. Now, I do not guarantee to read your question on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. Question number one today comes from Logan. If I can pull it up. It's not coming up. It's coming very slowly. Also, I I switched my water today. I've been using like these little these Mio um they're not Mio. They're the the Walmart brand, but the little squirt things, they squirt out like a a juice concentrate into your water to make your water flavored. Well, I bought Gatorade powder last night because it's like 10 times cheaper. You get like way more servings for like way less of a price. And it's, it's not, I don't like it as much, you know? I mean, it's, I have everything watered down. I just want a little bit of flavor in my water, but it's not a good flavor. It's more like a kind of a, a I don't know. I, I'm i just adding powder to the water and mixing it up. And, and maybe that's not enough. Maybe it needs something else too, but. Or maybe I need more powder. But uh, it's, it's not great. It's okay. It's not sweet enough, really. It's more tart, which I, I think is better for me. I don't want the super sweet thing. I don't want to be just only drinking Gatorade all day. The goal is to have just a bit of flavor in my water. But this is backfiring so far. Not as good. Anyway, Logan writes in. Logan says, and this is a long one from Logan, but it's good. And I think it's interesting. Logan says, Hey, Zach or Jack's optical nerves. A up Zacher Jack's optical nerves. Zacher Jack, Zach Jack's optic nerves, that's, that's funny, but what's A up? Like, A up? Hello? You could have said hi, maybe. First off, I wanna say I'm super stoked that you're back doing SOS. Really happy for you that you're doing what you love. With such enthusiasm, it's awesome to see. I wanna ask you something about Geno Smith. I know you did a great segment on Geno in a recent episode. But I've noticed he seems to be underrated or underappreciated in some recent preseason quarterback rankings I've seen. Pro Football Focus have him at, you know, ranked number 15 below Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford, and Justin Herbert, who I believe is a tad high at number four. CBS has him in their fourth tier beneath Matthew Stafford again, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Daniel Jones, Justin Fields, and Tua. Now, I'm aware there's a possibility that Geno is a one-season wonder. However, based on where each quarterback is at this point in time, what they did in the season just past, I think Geno is easily a top-ten quarterback, especially consider his passing efficiency or completion percentage. Logan continues, I think it's ridiculous to have Geno lower than Matthew Stafford, Tua, Watson, Fields, uh, and Wilson. Matthew Stafford struggles to not get injured, and even when he was playing, he was throwing way too many interceptions. Regardless of how good Tua is, when he's playing, it's not worth much if he keeps getting serious concussions due to his reckless playing style. Deshaun Watson hasn't proven he's the same guy he was with Houston. Wilson hasn't proven he's the same guy he was with Seattle. Justin Fields has shown flashes of potential, but has yet to really prove himself as a great NFL quarterback. So, diatribe over. Zach or Jack, do you think Geno is being disrespected with these rankings? Or do you think the rankings are fair based on the fact that Geno has yet to prove himself as more than a one-season wonder? Where would you rank Geno amongst NFL quarterbacks on how good they are right now? Not how good they were at their best, which seems to be how pro football focus and CBS are rating quarterbacks. P.S. Sorry for the diatribe. I can be quite diatribacious, which is not a word, but I do love that. Uh, especially when high on coffee like I am right now and then the little emoji with like a semicolon or just the two dots and then the P, which is just the P. And I, I like that. I think it's funny. Um, Logan, thanks for the write-in. How good is Geno Smith? Where does he rank? Rankings are kind of dumb. Like, I, I like uh, like a tier better. I would put him. It's weird to put him lower than Tua. Maybe maybe on the same tier as Tua, but you're telling me Geno Smith and the Jets offense wouldn't be awesome? Probably would. Now, I think there's an unknown. How good is Geno going to be next year? We don't know. Or this fall. Like, he was great last year. It was one year. You know, Case Keenum had a great little bit of time in the NFL as well. Like, I've seen a lot of quarterbacks have one great year and then never do anything ever again. That happens a lot. More likely, I think that Geno Smith is going to be something like Matt Schaub. Matt Schaub, his career as a quarterback started and ended... As a backup in Atlanta. He had this four-year stretch. I think he was a quarterback in Houston for six years total. But he had a four-year stretch where he was really good. 2009 to 2012. He was a two-time Pro Bowler. In 2009, he threw for 4,700 yards. Matt Schaub, Matthew Schaub, threw for almost 5,000 yards one year in the NFL. Like, he had a really great couple years. But it came and went. He started as a backup at Atlanta and ended his career as a backup in Atlanta with a brief period in the middle where he was really, really good. Geno Smith is 32 years old, much older than Matt Schaub was, and he became the guy. And, and I wonder, how long does Geno Smith have? H- how long is this window where Geno Smith is going to play well? Four years? One year? Two years? Three years? I don't know. I think we're entering the prime of Geno Smith's career as an NFL quarterback. He's a great leader. He has been there before. He's seen everything he's going to see defensively. Physically, I think he could play for another eight years, something like that. But what I'm worried about with Geno Smith is that he's going to spend the prime years of his career playing under the wrong head coach, Pete Carroll. That's really my concern. But I ask you this question again. How long is Geno going to be good? We don't know. We're not sure. We'll find out. And when it comes to rankings, I I don't like just saying one, two, three, four, five, because how do you differentiate that? What I'll say with Geno Smith is he's somewhere in the ballpark of like a Derek Carr or a Kirk Cousins or a Dak Prescott. He's never going to make some of the plays that Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Joe Burrow can make. Like, he's not going to be a top five quarterback ever. Geno Smith isn't. But he's shown with a good team he can win. He's Kirk Cousins or... Um, Kirk Cousins is more like the best of the average quarterbacks. He's more like Dak Prescott. He's fine. You know, he, he made the playoffs, did really well last year. Um, but I don't know how much better Geno Smith can get. I think he's near his ceiling. So that, that's where I would rank Geno Smith. I don't, I don't think it's fair to like put numbers on it. One to 15, but I think somewhere around where, wherever you would put Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr, Tua maybe is in that conversation. That's where I would put Geno Smith. I think that's about right. I, I, uh, you know, I don't know. What did Russ do last year? Nothing. But I, I think Russell Wilson, based on what he's done in the past, could be better than Geno Smith. But we'll see. Who knows? Now, the hand man writes in with a really interesting question also about Seattle. Hand man says this. Hey, Zach, how much do you believe in Pete Carroll going into 2023? Do you think that Russ was holding Pete back or was Pete holding back Russ? Glad you're back in my ear canals. Um, These are two separate issues in my opinion. Uh, Russell Wilson was not properly supported in Seattle, in my opinion. They never hired a great offensive coordinator. The offensive line really, really struggled. And without support, Russell Wilson had to develop a lot of really bad habits in Seattle. He became Superman, basically, playing with bad habits to try to win games with a bad situation around him. I think Pete Carroll failed Russ by not getting him what he needed, not hiring the right offensive coordinator. Now, I I love Pete a lot. I said this before. I said it earlier in the show. 71 years old, full of youth and energy still. Players love him. Despite his flaws, I would like to play for him. He seems like an awesome guy who treats people fairly. And brings this great energy to work every day. Like, creates a good environment to work in. However, Pete Carroll's a defensive head coach in an offense-driven league. I think Pete's got, at best, a couple years left. I'm surprised Seattle hasn't forced him into retirement already. Um, You know, I think they respect him. They like him. He's well-liked in the building. And, you know, the Seahawks are trying to figure out who their owner is. But, uh, man, you know, I believe that there is a lot of potential in Seattle that's being missed out on because they've got the wrong head coach. And I said it earlier in the show, it's been 10 years since he won a Super Bowl. That's a great memory from a long time ago. But I've seen a lot better coaches get fired in that time. And it's interesting that Pete Carroll's still hanging on to this long distant memory of an old Super Bowl. And I wonder what Seahawks fans think about him. You know, I, I was hanging out with... My friend Dax is a, a, a TV anchor. We were hanging out last night. He he wants Pete Carroll fired two years ago. Shout out to Dax. You're, doing, you're awesome, man. Dax has, has got this little necklace that says Dax. Like, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. I was like, oh, man. I don't think I... He pulled that off. I don't think I could pull that off. Um, But yeah, Dax and I were talking about Seattle last night. And he's like, yeah, I, I want Pete Carroll out. So... That's one Seahawks fan's perspective. I'm curious what other Seahawks fans would say. But I, I, I'm i happy to. I, I love Pete, but let him walk. What's he, what's he done for me lately? Not a lot in Seattle. Justin writes in. Justin says, heyo, Zach. Glad to see you're, you are back making content and awesome to see you back in Hawaii. Thank you, my man. I'm a longtime listener from Arizona. And my question is regarding Cardinals head coach Jonathan Gannon. I can't say I have much faith in this hire as I think getting an offensive-minded head coach is the way to go these days. I am not sure he's the right guy for the job given he's a first-time head coach. The weak roster and a bad culture with things such as players needing to pay for meals and work out feels like a horizontal move from Cliff Kingsbury, but I'd like to know your thoughts. P.S. I hope you had a good time here in Arizona when you came during the Super Bowl. Thank you, Justin. You know, actually, uh, Sanders, if you're listening... I hung out with this guy Sanders and his friend group uh, at a Super Bowl party. Amazing. Really nice people. I loved Arizona. I was surprised at how green it was, actually. I spent um, a little over two weeks in Vegas for a work event at the Shrine Bowl. Vegas was rocky and brown, and everyone's pale as all get out. Nobody goes outside there. Like everyone was like a vampire. You get to Arizona, little, you know, down highway 93. Little over like four hours and 40 minutes away, it's like green. Not only is it way more green, the hills were green, there were bushes and trees. And I mean, look, I live in Hawaii, it's not as green as Hawaii. Arizona is not the greenest place I've ever seen. But after two weeks in Vegas looking at literal rocks for like miles, suddenly seeing bushes that are green in Arizona made me go, Whoa, this is awesome! It was green, there was a culture of people going outside. I was shocked. In my head, Vegas and and Arizona are both in the desert. Like Vegas and Phoenix are both the desert. They're going to be very similar cities, but they could not have been more different. There's no outdoor culture in Vegas. Everyone's pale. Uh, it's not pretty to look at the nature. Arizona, Phoenix, it's pretty outside. The nature's there. People are hanging out outside. What a different cultural experience city to city. I couldn't believe that. Now, uh, let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals head coach. I feel bad for... Jonathan Gannon. I think he's just the only sucker who would take the job. Honestly. It's a bad football team. They've got no quarterback. Kyler Murray, their quarterback might miss the entire year recovering from a torn ACL. What do you say? Like I, <laughs> he, he's a babysitter for a couple of years until they're ready to win again. And they hire a real coach. I mean, that's, I hope that's not true. I like Jonathan Gannon. He did a great job in Philly, but I think he should have stayed in Philly. I, I don't know that going from the defensive coordinator in Philly to the head coach in Arizona was actually a promotion. I, I think in many ways you now have a worse life, and I would rather be the defensive coordinator in Philly than the head coach. You know, Winning, by the way, in Philly with a great group of players around you. Because Jonathan Gannon got offered a job as a head coach. This is maybe the only shot he'll ever get to be a head coach. He burned it. He wasted it. He went to the Arizona Cardinals, a horrible franchise. He's going to do bad in Arizona, and then he'll never, ever get another shot to become a head coach because no one's going to believe he can do the job when I don't think he was ever even given a fair shot to do the job. He was not put in a position to succeed in Arizona already. He's not even coached a game yet. I don't know why he went to Arizona. The money must have been amazing. It better be great. If I'm Jonathan Gannon, I'd say, hey, how about uh, I use this to leverage a better contract as defensive coordinator in Philadelphia? You could have stayed in Philly. You could have kept winning. You could have had a good time. And maybe someday you would have got a real good opportunity to become a head coach. Arizona's not a good opportunity. I don't think they could get anyone to take that job. He was the only sucker willing to do it. That's the honest reality. I think a similar situation happened with D'Amico Ryans in Houston. I think not a lot of people wanted the job. But unlike Jonathan Gannon, I think D'Amico Ryans is going to, I don't think he's going to win a Super Bowl, but I think he could be there for four or five years and make Houston respectable. He could, I think D'Amico Ryans in Houston could take Houston from a horrible, awful football team into a decent, okay football team. That's a success story there. He'll never win a Super Bowl. And I think, honestly, if Houston's going to want to go from, if four years from now Houston's a good team and wants to win a Super Bowl, they might have to hire a new coach that's even better. But I think D'Amico Ryans is going to succeed a little bit and could be there for years. I don't think Jonathan Gannon's going to succeed at all in Arizona. He's being set up to fail. And, oh boy, what a bad opportunity for him. And um, I am, I would have loved to talk to him before he took the job. I'm sure he was excited, but did he not have anyone in his family going like, "Hey, are are you sure? Are you sure you want to go there? Do you know anything about this organization? And your quarterback's not going to play until like week 15 next year, so he's probably not going to play at all. So you took a job with no quarterback and a horrible organization. Are you sure you want this job? You're winning in Philly." use this job offer to leverage more money in Philly. That's what he should have done. And uh, he didn't. He took the job. And uh, again, I think a great line. Jonathan Gannon was the only sucker willing to take the job in Arizona. That's, that's my honest opinion. All right, Carter wrote in. Carter said, Detroit sports media was discussing Cooper Cup to Detroit. I know right, right now it's a bit hypothetical at the moment, but in the case of a Rams rebuild, Do you think Detroit should go make a move for Cooper Cup? I think that makes them the number one offense in the league day one, but I would personally prefer trading for Aaron Donald because I would think that would bring the overall roster up. What does Zach the Oracle say? Oh, man. I mean, either player, Aaron Donald or Cooper Cup, makes Detroit better. Would Cooper Cup make Detroit the number one offense in the NFL? Whoa. uh, Carter, slow down, buddy. I think you... I love you, man. I, I think you're a bit um, of a, your, your fandom is showing, right? That's, that's you're, you you gotta be a Lions fan because that's a, the kind of thing a Lions fan would say. I don't think there's anything that can take Kansas City from being the number one offense in the NFL, quite frankly. Uh, but I, 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 would I rather go for Aaron Donald or, I think Aaron Donald fits in really well in Detroit with what, you know, their head coach Dan Campbell's doing. Trying to get a team full of Physical guys who play with a lot of intensity. I think Aaron Donald fits into the culture they're building in Detroit. But I, I, I love the idea of getting Cooper Cup. I mean, I, if I'm Detroit, whether I'm getting Cooper Cup or Aaron Donald, I want to do it without giving up any players I currently have. I'll give up a lot of draft picks, but if you can trade a first-round pick for Cooper Cup and, I mean, imagine, or even I would trade two first-round picks to get Cooper Cup, quite frankly. I think that's a great trade if you are Detroit. Imagine this offense. Cooper Cup, Ross, St. Brown, Jamison Williams, Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds, and then at running back, Jameer Gibbs, David Montgomery. They got a great offensive line in Detroit. A really good defense. I mean, man, if Detroit can find a way to trade for Cooper Cup, that would be a game changer. Make them very, very good. And so, yeah, I, I love that idea. I think he, Remember, he's young, too. How old is Cooper Cup? Let me look it up. I think he's like 26, 27, something like that. Let's find out. Maybe it's 28. Cooper Cup, cup age cooper cup is oh he's 30 it's older than i thought but tyree kills 29 Devonte adams is 30 Stephon diggs is 30 obj is 30 wow that's crazy but um yeah I, I would trade for cooper cup honestly of all the assets i mean think of the assets in la you've got jalen ramsey aaron donald cooper cup I think Cooper Cup is the one that benefits Detroit most. I mean, the one thing about what Detroit did this offseason is they didn't go get another receiver. And and I think Cooper Cup would solve that problem. I I was really hoping that um, he would be – I want to find – one second. Jalen Jalen Ramsey. He's in – he's in – Okay, no, Jalen Ramsey is now in Miami. I don't know what, so he's not even an asset in LA. I said that and was like, that doesn't seem right. So Jalen Ramsey is in Miami. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm crazy. Um, regardless, of the the assets in LA are Aaron Donald and Cooper Cup. And if, yeah, the more I say it out loud, if I'm Detroit, I think it's better you trade for Cooper Cup because the the only possible weakness I think in your football team right now is that you don't you didn't go get a good receiver this offseason. season. Got us. Crazy good running back who's going to pound the rock. He's really quick. Jameer Gibbs can catch the ball out of the backfield. But you add Cooper Cup to what they got going on in Detroit. And if you can do it without giving anybody up, I mean, I would give up a first-round pick and Josh Reynolds maybe to L.A. Because then L.A. feels like we got a first-round pick and we got a young receiver who could turn into something. But I don't want to give up much of the assets I currently have playing on the field if I'm the Detroit Lions. I don't want to lose a player to go get Cooper Cup, but I would trade Josh Reynolds in a first round pick for Cooper Cup. That's a great move. And if you're Detroit and you're trying to win your division, make the playoffs, I mean, that that would make Detroit really, really interesting to go get Cooper Cup out of out of LA and, and it would pair Cooper Cup back up with Jared Goff, the former Rams quarterback. So that's an interesting thought. And uh, hey, Detroit Sports Radio, you got some, some, some interesting minds out there thinking good things out there. Lucas writes, and Lucas says, Hey, Zacharonian and cheese, longtime listener, and finally in the position to support you on Patreon. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Your dedication and hard work to your podcast and your business and your passion is inspiring. Thank you so much. My question is a two-parter. Number one, what NFL team do you think is the most directionless right now? Which is, you know, directionless meaning not good enough to contend, not bad enough to tank, and unwilling to accept their bad position. And two, if you had complete control of that franchise, what would you do with it? Thanks and keep crushing it. So what teams are the most hopeless right now as a look around the NFL? They're not horrible. They're not bad. They're just somewhere stuck in limbo going nowhere. I'm not going to lie to you, Lucas. I had a really hard time with uh, this one because... most NFL teams that are in a bad spot at least have a plan. They're at least trying something or making a move here and there to try and get farther down the road. Whether they've got a young quarterback they believe is their future or they hired a new coach or they made some improvement somewhere else. Like, for example, New Orleans brought in Derek Carr to be quarterback, and they're thinking adding Derek Carr is going to make them better. Uh... Tennessee, they're a team that's kind of stuck in limbo, but they drafted Will Levis and they're hoping, hey, maybe in time Will Levis can become our franchise quarterback. Same with the Washington, they get brought in Sam Howell. Uh, You know, so they're committed to Sam Howell. Um, The Patriots added an offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. They're hoping he's the difference maker to make the Patriots better. So most of the teams around the NFL that I would probably normally say are bad, at least they've got a move that makes sense that whether it's going to work or not, the, the thinking logically brings you to, hey, they're trying to be better, and I can see what moves they're making to try to get better as a football team. Now, there are two teams in two cities about four hours and 40 minutes apart. It's a—you drive by the Hoover Dam. It's beautiful. Then you go down 93, and you go—that's that's the drive from Vegas to Phoenix, the Las Vegas Raiders and the Arizona Cardinals are two organizations that I, you asked me how to fix them. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. The Raiders are down bad. They've got Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. They're coached by Josh McDaniels. They're basically the Patriots in a state that allows gambling. Um, They're the black Raiders. I mean, I I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so the black Patriots, I mean, excuse me. They're, the Raiders are... Oh, man. I I don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo's the answer long-term. I, I don't know that Derek Carr was either, but I don't feel good about the direction the Raiders are headed at all. Um, I think they're a team that isn't competitive, not for a playoff run, not for a Super Bowl, but they're also not terrible. They're just stuck kind of in the middle, and I don't know what I would do to them. You... you, you You've already replaced your quarterback. You already fired your coach, John Gruden. You brought in a new coach who's who's too new to fire already. I think they're trying stuff, but it feels like they're throwing darts at the wall with their eyes closed. And they're they're throwing a lot of darts that aren't even hitting the wall. You're like, How? or sorry, they're I guess they would be hitting the wall, but not the dartboard. Like they're they're just nowhere near where they need to be, and they're hoping and closing their eyes and just praying that one of them sticks. And I don't I don't believe in what the Raiders are doing at all. And then the even more hopeless franchise is down in Phoenix, man. The Cardinals are going nowhere. Like even adding a healthy Kyler Murray, whenever he gets back from his torn ACL injury, I I don't think Kyler Murray is going to save the Cardinals and make them way better. So I don't have an answer on how I would fix them, but the Raiders and Cardinals are the two franchises in the NFL right now that I'm like, I don't, I don't even know that what you're doing is going to help. Like, I I think there's a like you can argue that a lot. There's a lot of teams, every team that is bad made some kind of move to try to get better. The Saints added Derek Carr. Is that good or not? I'm not sure, but there's a small chance that he's the answer and that the Saints get better. I just don't believe that Jimmy Garoppolo makes the Raiders better. It's it's one of the only teams that made a move that you can logically track and I go Really? That's your move? Okay. Good luck. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't I don't know. And Arizona's even worse. Like their their great move. The big move the Cardinals made this offseason was they hired a defensive head coach, Jonathan Gannon. Okay. I, I mean he's a he was a great coordinator. They got no quarterback, a bad roster. They lost their star receiver. Their, their quarterback's not gonna play all year. Good luck! Arizona's screwed. They're they're headed for the number one overall pick, honestly, in Arizona. So, I, I guess great for them. They can draft Caleb Williams and... I mean, what, what does Arizona do? If they get the number one overall pick, I guess you gotta draft Caleb Williams, but then what do you do with Kyler Murray? You know? Like, ah. Uh, interesting stuff going down for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Reno writes in reno not nevada reno says hey zach first of all i want to thank you for all of the content from strong opinion sports to zach Shomler talking i've been listening for about two years now and you've become one of my favorite youtubers and podcasters by the way zach Shamler talking comes back next week so i'm now settled in hawaii we've done two weeks doing this show we're back doing sports and we've got a rhythm now I feel like i'm ready to add zach Shomler talking back into the schedule so that's coming back Reno continues. Reno says, this is more of a request, uh, but is there a chance you'd be open to making more sports show reviews? I really enjoyed your series on Man in the Arena, and I was wondering if you could recreate this in some way. The new quarterback series is coming out on Netflix, and it would be cool to hear your thoughts. P.S., I know you're busy with the four weekly SOS episodes, but it would I would be ecstatic if you could bring back Zach Schaumler talking in some capacity. Keep up the good work, Reno. Zach Schaumler talking is coming back. It's my other podcast that's non-sports related. It's really fun. I really like it. I share my journey as a human. Um, I'm going to watch that quarterback series on Netflix this weekend. We'll see what happens. I think I can do... I'm either going to cover it as a topic on the show, like maybe at the end of Monday's episode, or if I feel like I've got a lot to say, like if I feel like I have an hour's worth of stuff to say, what I'll probably do is just record like a spoiler cast. And I'll do... um, an entire episode dedicated to that TV show, sharing my thoughts and breaking it down. Let me know what you guys want, but I think that's either making it a small topic at the end of Monday's show or just dedicating an an entire podcast to it. Either one's a good idea. And I'm curious what you guys would like from that. Michael writes in, Michael says, Hey Zach, it's me again. The resident Daniel Jones believer. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on him now that we saw a year of Daniel Jones under Brian Dable. And what it will take for people to finally give him some respect? It's crazy seeing Jones doubters who also praise unproven guys like Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Yeah, um, I don't know what to make of Daniel Jones. Honestly, I feel I feel uneducated here. I, I've made some jokes here and there, and I, I think people think I'm a hater of Daniel Jones. That is not at all how I mean to come across. I the reality is I am I am uninformed when it comes to Daniel Jones and. I'm not going to say what I'm working on. I'm not going to say I, I, I really hate. I hate feeling like the guy who gives false promises. So I I'm, I'm, want to be very careful from here on out. Like, for example, I had Brian Simpson on the show earlier this week. That's a massive guest, in my opinion. It's a guy who's been on Joe Rogan multiple times. He's done a lot of comedy with Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan, Tom Segura. Like, he's a legend, in my opinion. I had him on the show on Wednesday (laughs) like that's a big deal to me and I didn't want to tease it I didn't want to I said I got a guest coming but I didn't want to say who it was because I knew if something goes wrong and Brian can't come on the show I don't want to have said Brian Simpson's coming on then have him not come on and me look stupid so I want to be careful from here on out what I say and I don't want to I don't want to say a a video's coming soon I don't want to be I'm working on a project we'll see how it goes it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of energy but I'll just say I'm, I'm working on a Daniel Jones project that I think a lot of people will like that is going to help me be more informed on how Daniel Jones is as a player. What he did well last year, what he needs to work on. And uh, so, Michael, I've got an answer soon on how I feel about Daniel Jones. I'll leave it there. Daniel, not Daniel Jones, but Daniel writes in and says, Hey, Zachy Dimes. Excited to see you back. My question, albeit biased, is if the Giants at seven and a half wins is the worst line in the NFL. For a team that was nine, seven, and one last year and won a playoff game, I don't see how Vegas thinks we're a sub 500 team. We lost only one plus starter, Julian Love, and a patched up almost, and patched up almost all of our roster holes with tight end Darren Waller, two receivers, Jalen Hyatt, Paris Campbell, a center, John Michael Schmitz, um, a D-tackle, A'shaun Robinson, a linebacker, Bobby Okereke, and a, a corner, Deontay Banks. So the Giants added a lot of talent to their roster. They'd only lost one starter. Not to mention, Michael continues, we have Daniel Jones, albeit Daniel Jones, in his first full offseason with a competent coaching staff and actual weapons. He's never had an 800-yard pass catcher catcher his entire career, and two top 10 picks, uh, Thibodeau and Neal entering their second year. Our schedules tough? No doubt. But I don't see how the Bears, the literal, literal worst team in the NFL last year, have the same projected record as us, even as a delusional Giants fan. Am I missing something? That's a great point, too. You got a a pass rusher and an offensive lineman entering their second year. I loved what the Giants did in the draft uh, last year. You know, they they drafted... Linemen, You know, I, I think that's the best investment you can make with from your franchise is drafting linemen in the first round. Linemen or receivers, brilliant move every time. I'm always going to praise that. I, I like drafting linemen more than I like drafting receivers. I think your team wins up front more than any other way. It's, the, linemen are so underrated in football, and I love what the Giants did. I forgot about that. That's beautiful and amazing. Um, why are the Giants viewed as a team that's not going to win a lot of games this year? Here's why. A, the, 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 the number two, this is not the most important reason, but this is a reason. People just don't know what to expect from Daniel Jones this year. How much better do you expect him to get? I'm not sure. Vegas clearly isn't sure. That's one aspect here. But the real problem with the Giants, the number one thing that I think is causing people to doubt the New York Giants is this. They're in a tough division. They play Dallas twice. They play Philly twice. They play Washington twice. And Washington is going to be better this year than they were last year. So that's six really tough games already. Then you realize, hey, the schedule for New York is they're playing the NFC West and the AFC East. So Seattle, a playoff team. 49ers, a playoff team. Miami, a playoff team. Buffalo, a playoff team. The Jets, who have Aaron Rodgers now, the Packers, the Saints, the Patriots. I mean, that's a lot of really good football teams, potentially. The Giants have a really tough schedule this fall. So they might be a better team, but they play a harder schedule. They really only have three easy gimme wins this year. They play Arizona, they play the Rams, and they play the Raiders and the Raiders don't feel like an easy gimme. They're a team that that's a game they should win, but I'm not sure. So it's, I understand why. Uh, that's an interesting bet, though. I've never gambled in my life. If you're a Giants fan, Daniel, if you really believe that, I'd put 20 bucks on the Giants. Why not? 20 bucks, they're going to win more than they're projected to. That's, can they win nine games? They can. What are they, seven and a half? That's an interesting bet, isn't it? Could the Giants win more than seven and a half games so can they win eight games I think that's how that works I don't I don't know gambling very well but if a team's at seven and a half is that assuming that they are going to win seven and a half games I I think it's okay I I don't I've never gambled in my life I don't know (laughs) but I think that's how that works and that's interesting but I I just I'm not sure they can win that many games like they you look at their schedule playoff team playoff team Seattle playoff team 49ers playoff team Miami playoff team Buffalo playoff team Jets have a great quarterback Aaron Rodgers the Packers the Saints New England's going to be better with a finally a great offensive coordinator Dallas is really good they're not a Super Bowl team I'm tired of that every year but the Cowboys are good let's not pretend they're bad Philly they're good they're gonna play them twice Washington is going to be better do we have news? What's going to happen? I think Monday is the deadline to find out what happens with Saquon Barkley. Let me Google it. Saquon Barkley. Because you never know. While I'm talking, you might have already signed a new contract. Saquon Barkley News. Um, <clears throat> reportedly, yeah, so we still don't have a resolution on the, the contract offer for Saquon Barkley. I think by Monday, we're going to learn more about Saquon Barkley and figure out what's going on. By Tuesday, we'll really know and have better news and we can cover it more in depth. So Daniel, to answer your question, we don't know how much better Daniel Jones is going to be. And the schedule for the New York Giants is a really, really tough one. That is why a lot of people think they're not going to be very good this year. It's not that they're a bad team or got worse. It's that their competition got better. All right. Philip wrote in. Philip said, hey, Zach. What is your opinion on the ongoing college football conference realignments? For example, BYU going to the Big 12 or San Diego State trying to leave the Mountain West for the Pac-12 and failing miserably. So we got a couple big changes coming in college football in 2024. Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC. That's not this fall. That's next fall. Next fall, we also are going to have USC and UCLA going from the Pac-12 to the Big 10. This fall, the Big 12 has added BYU, Cincinnati, Houston, and Central Florida. Houston's awesome. That's a really big school with a lot of kids at it. BYU is a—I think BYU is a great missed opportunity for the Pac-12. BYU probably fits in better with the Big 12 simply because the Big 12 also has TCU and Baylor, other religious schools, and when you're dealing with— religious schools some of the you know private schools like that it's the the rules are different they do they compete on Sundays there's all these little stuff you gotta deal with that are, are nuances that if you're running a whole conference and a whole organization because it's not just football I mean this is also going to affect basketball softball baseball everything um I I think the big 12 is better suited to help byU and their needs everywhere because of their you know relationship and and understanding work with TCU and Baylor but I I was lobbying hard for the Pac-12 to go get BYU. You know, I, I think BYU is just... There's so much money to be made with the BYU fan base. It's a, it's a fan base that is rich and they're abundant. They're all over the country. A lot of people support BYU. And if I'm the Pac-12, I'm like, hey, we're going to have games anywhere and people are going to show up. BYU fans are going to come and they're going to spend money. And if I... And football league i'm like yo i, I want to involve byu because they got money um now the big 12 they added byu they added cincinnati houston central florida they're gonna lose texas and oklahoma when it's all said and done the big 12 is gonna end up basically being a glorified mountain west they are not they're more of a mid-major they're not a power five conference anymore not really so uh, that's that's one thing is I think they the Big 12 has dropped down a tier in the quality they're, they're going to bring to the table football-wise. And there is no more Power 5 conferences. There, there are not five powerful, great conferences in college football. There's the Power 2, the SEC and the Big 10. And the Big 10 and the SEC are going to dominate the college football playoffs for the next however many years until alignment happens again and, and alignment changes because it's – the SEC and the Big Ten as the two top dogs with the best teams and the most money, then the Pac-12 and the ACC are like a tier below them, then the Big 12 are a tier below those two, and then there's everybody else. So I I think that it, it's very important to say the Power Five is no more. College football is now the SEC or the Big Ten. And then occasionally the ACC with Clemson or the Pac-12 with whoever wins them is going to be interesting, but... Not nationally relevant. Like the college football conversation has totally shifted to it's the Big Ten or the SEC and that's it. Once USC and UCLA join the Big Ten and Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC, it's over. Like there's only going to be two relevant, interesting conferences in college football nationally, in my opinion. Now, everyone's got their favorite team. You're a North Carolina fan. You're going to watch North Carolina games. You're a Clemson fan. You're an Oregon fan. You're going to watch your team. I understand that. But when it comes to winning in the college football playoffs, it's not going to be a competition. It's going to be the Big Ten or the SEC, and that's it. You mentioned San Diego State. I got to say this, man. With the Pac-12 losing USC and UCLA, there is no more school in Southern California in the Pac-12. That's a problem. So if I was a Pac-12, I'd say, hey, just from a recruiting standpoint, from a recruiting standpoint, we want a team in Southern California. Let's go get San Diego State. That makes sense. A place in Southern California you can recruit to. We might have lost USC. Let's bring in San San Diego State. Let's elevate them and raise them up and make them better and make them a recruiting hotbed. I like that idea. It's good for San Diego State. It's good for the back 12 to have a presence in Southern California. Once they lose the two teams in LA, they will not have one. I don't think you can fill that void with San Diego State, but you could try. That's an interesting thought. I'm curious what happens there. By the way, my stepsister goes to San Diego State. You'll never find her a different last name, but um, I-, I like it there. San Diego State's cool, and I am interested what happens with them in the Pac-12. Well, they're trying to join. It's gone bad so far. I, I think you're a bit dramatic, Philip. I don't think they've failed yet, but it's certainly not gone well for them. All right. Um, Aaron writes in. Aaron says, hey, Zach, really psyched your back. There really isn't anyone out there who can carry a one-man podcast with the consistency that you do. Anyways, as an endlessly hopeful but skeptical member of Raider Nation, could you go in a bit more on or drop the video about Jimmy Garoppolo? People argue that him and McDaniels could—him and Josh McDaniels could recapture something, but I just feel like there's no magic there. As a former quarterback and a knowledgeable dude, could you tell us why nobody wanted to sign Jimmy Garoppolo? Thanks, man. Welcome back, Aaron. Um— I apologize. I'm not going to give you a film analysis or deep breakdown. I might, I might, if I'm, if I'm really feeling it, put a video on screen that shows how great Jimmy Garoppolo is. If you're watching on YouTube, um, I got to, I should, that, that would be funny. I've got, there's a video on my computer, literally titled call why no one wants Jimmy G. (laughs) Let's write that down and get that on the video. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is not awful. He's just got a low ceiling. There's just not a lot of potential there. He's not ever going to be a top five or even top 10 quarterback. He's fine. And he gets injured often. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo got elevated by a great team around him in San Francisco. That is why he succeeded and went to a couple of Super Bowls. He executed and was elevated. He gets hurt all the time. I don't, I'm not convinced he's going to make it through this year without getting hurt. He's got a low ceiling. So I'm not excited about Jimmy Garoppolo. Is he the savior of the Raiders? I doubt it. I hope I'm wrong. How cool would it be if Jimmy Garoppolo went to the Raiders and was amazing? I love that idea but I don't think it's going to happen, right? I I can hope for something and then also still be realistic that it's probably not going to happen. And I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is the solution to all the problems in Vegas, but uh, we'll see. But uh, the reason why no one wants him, he's not very capable. He's got a low ceiling and he gets injured all the time. Stephen G writes in. Stephen G says, hello, Zach's face balls. My face balls. Okay. Okay. Glad to see the return of SOS, and I hope you're doing great. So my question is, how likely do you think a Trevor Lawrence MVP campaign is this year? He turned a corner late last year and became a top 10 quarterback statistically, and now he gets a whole offseason to study Doug Peterson's offense, and Calvin Ridley's coming back from suspension. I'm not a betting man, but I would go all in on Trevor Lawrence finishing at least top five in MVP voting this year. He continues, also, as someone who's been on record saying fantasy football is my religion, I was wondering if you were still planning on doing the SOS Fantasy League this year. I am still very excited to play against you and some other listeners and can even give you a pointer or two about how to run one as a commissioner myself. I apologize if this question has already been answered. Looking forward to it. Keep it up, dude. Uh, Steven, I haven't sent you an email yet, but you are on my list and uh, you are one of the people. I'm doing a 16-man league. I was going to do less, but I, I realized the way it works out for playoffs and the way it everything... I, I 16... Is bigger and, and more, and I, I like that. I think it's more challenging to have more teams and a, a sparse amount of good players. I like that. You have to be more thoughtful with how you build your team if there's 16 teams versus like eight or 10. Uh, Steven, look for an email this weekend. I'm going to send you one. You, you better, you better be ready. You're not going to. I'm not going. You're not going to miss out. There's no hurry here, but I uh, look for an email soon. Um, now, is there a chance Trevor Lawrence wins the NFL MVP? I think so. I mean, people like a new story. I I think people are getting tired of the same old, same old, the same person winning MVP every year. People get worn out by that. People like the new kid on the block. Oh my gosh, this guy came out of nowhere. He's amazing. If Trevor Lawrence has a great year, that's what's going to happen. People are going to go, wow, he's suddenly amazing. The Jaguars are so good. What happened? Trevor Lawrence. I can see him winning an MVP for sure. And he's got an advantage too. He's, The best team, he's on a good team, and a bad division. Houston's bad. Titans have a bunch of questions. The Colts are bad. Part of why Tom Brady was so good in New England early on is he was playing six games a year against bad football teams. The Jets could never get it together. The Dolphins were horrible. The Bills were horrible for a long time. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be greatly helped by the fact that his division is full of really bad football teams. And uh, yeah, I think there's an absolute chance that Trevor Lawrence wins the NFL MVP this fall. Uh, Justin writes in. It's a really long one. Justin says, oh my effing G. I'm not going to say it, but he says, God, I'm too old to use that phrase. I think too old. I'm just not going to say it out loud. Uh, so glad you're back. I live in Japan. You do, Justin. What's up? I would love to come visit you. I live in Japan, and since I've been here, I've gotten into watching some sports that I wasn't really interested in when I was back in the States, sports like sumo and rugby. I know that you enjoy Formula One in football, obviously, but are there any sports that you see out there and think, hey, that might be fun to catch a few games? You don't need to read this part. just wanted to share this with you. I wasn't really interested in baseball in America. I caught a few games here and there, but I didn't really care. Since I've been in Japan I started watching going to watching go I started going to games and the atmosphere and environment is just amazing. Watching games here and the culture around it got me to start watching MLB games again. If you get the chance to try to watch some sports in another country it's really interesting I recommend it. On that note there is a professional American football league in Japan called the XFL. Honestly not great quality but you can get into a game for like $5 and the championship is in Tokyo the Tokyo Dome every December and it sells out like 30,000 people. It's a great time every year. Sorry to write so much. Stay awesome. I'm upping my subscription to lend a hand. You are. Thank you so much, Justin. I appreciate your support. Um, so what's the sport that I, I feel like I've been neglecting and not watching a lot of and want to try to do more? It's actually baseball. Um, I want to I say on record, I really, really am impressed with the MLB. The MLB made a lot of rule changes this offseason. And the product so far this year in the regular season has been Really, really good. And I want to reward that. And so I think while I'm working throughout the day in my my office and I'm writing and preparing and editing, I got two monitors here. Monitor is, that's normally in front of me that I move and I record and then a monitor off to the side. I think my second monitor off to the side should have a baseball game, probably on 24-7. Like, I don't know why... I can't have an MLB game all on always in the background. It's it's great background noise. I can occasionally, oh, there's a home run. I'll check in and out, and a really good, good at-bat might suck me in. I mean, it's a sports version of daytime TV, um, and I want to support the MLB. The MLB is trying to bring people like me back to pay attention, and I really want to support that because I love the changes they made, and it's making games shorter. There's more scoring. It's better at-bats. There is more... Um, more steals happening. I really, really like what baseball is doing and I want to support them. So um, that's a change I want to make um, soon. Griffin writes in, Griffin says, F1 question for you here. Nick DeVries just got the boot from Alpha AlphaTauri. They're putting an old driver and Daniel Ricciardo in the car, which is a first for Alpha AlphaTauri. They've always had young drivers to feed the Red Bull team. I think Sergio Perez should be worried. My question is, do you agree with me that Daniel Ricciardo was likely on his way back to Red Bull? Yeah, um, you know, Alpha Tauri is a Red Bull-owned team. They locked down Daniel Ricciardo with the seat they had open to try to bring him back in. And they're like, we're going to lock him down now so Mercedes, Ferrari, no one else can take him. And eventually they're going to use him to replace Sergio Perez. Um, it's weird, though. Perez is number two in the standings. Like, he's done a good job this year. Red Bull's dominating. I don't know why they would want him out. Um, I haven't been following that close this year. I've been in and out. It's been not that interesting because Max is dominating. Um, but yeah, some point soon, I expect Daniel Ricciardo to be back in a Red Bull car. Um, and, uh, I think it's fascinating. Now, what I really would like to see is actually Red Bull replace Sergio Perez with Charles Leclerc or, uh, Lando Norris, somebody who's really good. I want to see someone really, really talented drive the other Red Bull car who can actually challenge Max Verstappen. Like, watching Max against Charles Leclerc in an equal car would be incredible. Watching Max against Lando in an equal car would be so much fun. Whether it's Lando or Charles Leclerc or Danny Ricciardo, I want to see somebody challenge Max Verstappen speed-wise and really be able to compete with him because clearly none of the other teams can do it in their other cars. So uh, that's what I'm rooting for in Formula 1. There's two more questions. One's a question. One's a comment. Uh, Carter says F1 thoughts. That's it. That's his whole write-in. Um, look, Max has got 255 points by himself. Uh, Mercedes, who's second in the standings, has 203. Max by himself is, is winning the, the Constructors Cup. Um, so it's just been like totally non-competitive in Formula one at the top spot. Max is dominating and, um, And the earlier half of my year was weird. I I was half watching, but I've been doing... I was working in HVAC. I was on a road trip. Now I'm I'm finally settled and working again. The battle for second in Formula One has been really good and interesting, but you know, Red Bull literally is double what Mercedes has. Red Bull has 411 points, and Mercedes has 203. It's not competitive or interesting. Um, A couple notes. So Ferrari's fourth behind Aston Martin. I find that funny. Uh, Ferrari is... (laughs) They're so underwhelming. They're the Dallas Cowboys. They're super bad. I just... Ugh, I, 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 I love watching Ferrari fail because it's entertaining and funny, but it's, it's got to be frustrating if you're a Ferrari fan watching how inconsistent and bad uh, the Ferrari F1 team is. Interesting, though, so in, in the F1 driver standings, Max Verstappen's number one, Sergio Perez is number two. Who's number three? It's not Lewis Hamilton. It's his old rival, Fernando Alonso, which is like, What? That's so cool. Oh, my gosh. Fernando Alonso, third and former the one. That's really, really cool. He's 41 years old, beating Lewis. Oh, man. I love to see that. That's really interesting to me. I love that. Um, I want to read one more final write-in today as we end the show. It's a story from Rita. Rita says this. Hey, I just wanted to share a quick story with you. I've been living in Barcelona since 2016, and a couple of years ago, you interviewed a coach from the Barcelona Dragons on Strong Opinion Sports. This allowed me to find out that the Dragons had essentially been reborn. I started watching their games, and this year I got the season ticket. I became a season ticket holder to go to all of their home games. I'm starting to meet other fans of the team, and after the games, I make sure to go high-five as many of the players as I can. It feels amazing to be surrounded by so many people who share the same passion for American football here in Barcelona. And cheer on the Dragons. I even picked out a couple Catalan words on the way. Haha, Not sure... If or when I would have discovered this team without strong opinion sports, for that I truly want to say thank you. And if life ever brings you to Barcelona, your beverage of choice is on me. Thank you, Rita. Uh, My dad wants to go to Barcelona really bad, actually. So if I am, I'll hit you up. That'd be fun. I remember Marcel came on. My friend Marcel Frazier, a guy who played at Missouri. He used Missouri uh, playing in the SEC, went to the NFL a little bit. He used Missouri to not only get his his degree, his undergraduate degree. He got his master's degree. Now he's killing it in the professional world. Um, he once coached in Barcelona. I love that guy. And it's so cool that that interview is how you found the Barcelona Dragons, Rita. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I love that. Um, I'm going to go. How long have we been going for? Ooh, well over an hour. Guys, I'm going to take off. I love you so much. Have a great weekend. I'm going to watch Quarterback this weekend on Netflix. I'll let you know how it goes. And uh, have a great weekend. Bam bum bam We are... Done.